I think I'm going to talk about uh, why, why healing belongs to us. How do we really know? A lot of people out there don't think healing belongs to us, but it does. I'm going to talk about what, what ways to receive healing. I've got about six of them. There may be more, but uh, I'll cover those. And then what hindrances are there that keeps us from receiving healing? And I've got about five of those. So lots of different stuff, kind of a, uh, a broad overview on healing. Yeah, in fact, it's kind of sad that for, uh, for a lot of centuries, you know, the, uh, the concept, I guess, of, of divine healing was, was more or less lost to the church. There'd, there'd be little smatters of it here and there. Uh, in fact, I, I teach a history on the, the history of the Christian church, and you always found healing was around in certain places, but it wasn't part of the main central church theology of the time. Uh, God just moved, people were healed. He never stopped doing that, but the church really wasn't getting in on it for the, for the most part. Uh, it was taught that mostly God doesn't heal anymore, so really don't, don't expect anything from God. So, because they didn't expect anything for God, so. But the word of God never changed, never has. Still the same as what Jesus said, still the same as what the apostles preached. Romans 1.16, we all know. And uh, again, you've got all these scriptures on those sheets there, except for about four I thought of at the end, I don't think made the sheet, but anyway, most of them are there. And... Uh, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we usually think of that in terms of people getting saved, but also, in, you get into that word salvation, you look at in the Greek, it's more than just salvation. It's deliverance, it's safety, it's preservation, it's healing, it's soundness. All that is in that word. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to save, but it's the power of God to heal, it's the power of God to deliver. All those things. I mean, that's the kind of gospel Jesus preached. He preached deliverance of every kind. Wherever he went, though, he healed the sick, he set captives free. In fact, when he commissioned the disciples, he told them to do the same thing. Preach the gospel, heal the sick. So... In fact, wherever the New Testament records the preaching of the gospel, you'll always find people that are being healed. So today, still as much healing is as much a part of the gospel as it was back then. And because uh, our God is a healing God. One whose perfect will is for his people to live in health. And that was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would provide healing for people if they remained faithful to him, remained faithful to the covenant. They fulfilled their part, he fulfilled his part. You know, he gave them a choice. He says, you know, he said before you choose, choose life or choose death. If you follow my commandments, I'll bless you, I'll heal you, I'll prosper you. If you don't, then you don't get those things. But he says, please take my recommendation and choose life. So no matter what they chose, though, God still remained the same. His best, his desire, was for the people's children to be healed instead of having sickness and death. But it was up to them. So God's will is healing, as much now as it ever was. It's never God's will, really, for people to be sick. Sometimes if people will be disobedient to God, you can take yourself out from under his protection and open yourself up 
two attacks from the enemy. That's not tr that's true of you know all attacks, sickness and other attacks as well. But even then, God's promise says, "Hey, just repent, turn around, come back to me, get under into my protection, restore yourself to a place where you can get in on back in on healing, so it'll work for you." He always wants to bring deliverance to his children. Healing was, healing is, healing always will be his perfect will for all of us. In the Old Testament, he's known, God is known as Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. He wanted to know, he put that as part of his name. He wanted to know that's, that's just part of his very nature is to heal. In Exodus 23, verses 25 and 26, he says, You shall serve your God, and he'll bless your bread and water. He'll remove sickness from the midst of you. you know, no one's going to miscarry. There's no one's going to be barren. He's going to fulfill the number of your days. In the New Testament, Jesus came. Jesus was coming. One of the reasons was to show us what God was like. He healed the sick wherever he went, showing everybody that's God's will to heal. Jesus is in every way a reflection of the Father God. Everything he did on earth, he did at the impulse and example of the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus exactly represents God. Well, one, because he is God, but Jesus was the will of God in action here on earth. Apostle Peter, I think, summed up Jesus' ministry when he said in Acts 10.38... You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Wherever he went, healing was a, a, just a big part of Jesus' ministry. Through him, God was letting us know that he wants people free from disease. Jesus looked at disease as an enemy. That's how God sees it. Now, people have said, oh, well, the reason all this healing went on was that Jesus was just trying to, to uh, validate his ministry, to just show people that he was God, that he was, uh, <clears throat> he was the Messiah that they had been looking for. You know, he did you know, all these mighty works as he went about traveling in those three, three and a half years. But, you know, just a few big spectacular ones would have been enough to validate his ministry. I mean, he could have raised Lazarus from the dead, he could have fed the 5,000, he could have walked on water. That's enough to prove who he is. But no, that isn't what he did. <clears throat> Wherever he went, he healed people. I mean, lots of people. All the time. Now it says that they, he, sometimes it said they healed everyone that came to him. So if it was just to validate his ministry... The only motive, why would he have healed all these hundreds and thousands of people over and over again, day after day, exhausting himself just about with all the healing that went on? He wanted us to know that's God's will. It was his compassion <clears throat> for the, the people that are oppressed, for the people that are sick, that caused him to send out the disciples to preach and heal. <clears throat> See that in Matthew chapter 9. God's, I think his compassion, his mercy... They're really the underlying reasons for why he, God wants to heal. And Jesus demonstrated over and over while he was here on earth. In fact, that was one of his first sermons that he preached. <clears throat> we have in Luke chapter 4. 
He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to, to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release of the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Came to free people from oppression, came to free them from bondage. He's simply carrying out the will of the one that sent him. John 6.38 says, For I have come down to heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 5, verse 19 says, Jesus said he did only those things that he saw the Father doing. He was just a living example of the will of God. I mean, if nothing speaks to us about God's desire to will, will desire to, to have us healed, it, it's really that. It's just so clear. There's no other reason why Jesus did so much healing and stressing the point that if you see him, you see the Father. For us, he wanted us to grasp the concept that healing belonged to us and that he'd paid the price for it. So, he's that living example that he, he wanted to be. So, Luke 13 talks about Jesus met this woman and she was bent over double and needed healing. So, Jesus heals her. And I think the interesting part was that after he heals her, and they were all going to get on him because he had healed her on the Sabbath day. Jesus did that a lot, and they used to really torque a lot of people that he would do something on the Sabbath day, even though it was the heart and mercy of God. They, they'd try to get real rigid and religious and, and try to say that wasn't God's will, and it always would have been. But anyway, he says, this woman, <clears throat> a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan had bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? So he's calling here sickness of bondage. He said that covenant woman had a right to be free from bondage. I think more clearly he's saying to us, you know, or the people that were there, he said, look, you set free what's yours. You know, your animal gets trapped, it gets stuck, it gets injured. You get in, you set it free. So if you can set free what's yours, I will set free what is mine. All those people, all those that are in covenant with me, I will set free. Praise God. Healing belongs to us. We're His. Sickness is not of God. If it was from God, man, I guess heaven would be full of it. And we know that's not true. So God sent Jesus to heal and set the captives free. In Mark... Uh, Chapter 16, verses 17, 18 says, These signs shall accompany those who have believed. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. This is what happened in the book of Acts. It's what we see everywhere the gospel is preached. Miracles of healing pop up. It's God's will was still for his covenant people, including us, to walk in health. When the children of Israel, they all murmured against uh, Moses and against God. Then they got plagued with, with fiery serpents, God sent. And the, these serpents weren't too cool because if you got bit one, you, by one, you died. So, um, but they would be healed. Moses prayed and God said, okay, make this, get this serpent, put it on a stick, hold this up on the stick. And if they would look on it, they'd be healed. And they were. But what we see here with that serpent on the stick, it's a type 
of Jesus' death on the cross. As they looked at that, they were healed. As we look at what Jesus has done for us. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 14 says, and Jesus wanted this to be clear, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Again, saying, that was a symbol of what's going to happen to me. The bronze serpent was the, was the symbol of him. Today, you know, if we look steadfastly on what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we're looking at Jesus on the cross, what he's done, we meditate on that, we get made whole just as the children of Israel stared at that serpent on the pole. In fact, even more surely. Isaiah 53 talks a lot. We all know that talks about the suffering servant, but a lot of the words in there have, have several meanings. They, they be, you know, injury, it also means healing, it means deliverance. So you could read Isaiah 53 this way. He was despised and rejected and forsaken of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our sickness he himself bore. All our pains he carried, we, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, to make him sick, really to put our sicknesses on him. So in Matthew, another scripture there, Matthew 8, it says that Jesus healed all that were ill in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, which we just read here, might be fulfilled, saying he took our infirmities and he carried away our diseases. All that was fulfilled on Calvary when Jesus not only bore our sins, but he also bore diseases. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, says, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The curse of the law, what was that? It included every kind of disease that existed. He bore the curse of sickness so we wouldn't have to. Physical healing is as much a part of the atonement as the forgiveness of sin. And so it's available to everyone who needs it. Talking about healing. Healing belongs to us. What about, oh, what about Paul's thorn? Ooh. Well, that's how tell you, Paul's thorn is indication it's not always God's will to heal. You know, tell you, oh, Paul was sick and God told him he just had to live with it. No. If you look at it, really, it's in 2 Corinthians 12, um, where, where the passage is. But here it says that he received the messenger of Satan to buffet him. So, so he wouldn't be puffed up with pride because of the revelations that God had given to him. When he prays, God replies, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. So, say, oh, I say, that's it. Say, God made Paul sick just to keep him humble. But nowhere, it's funny, nowhere does Paul ever say he is sick or has been sick. He lists all these things that have come against him. All these persecutions, all these trials, all these difficulties. And never once does he mention, oh yeah, I got sick and God healed me. Never mentions any sickness. The weakness that Paul's speaking of here are the persecutions and the trials that he encountered at the hands of men because of what he was preaching. These Judaizers would come along. He'd come and he'd preach in a place. And he'd preach the gospel. People would get saved. And all the Judaizers would come around and they'd stir up the people against them. You know, they'd try to want to stone them. They'd want to, you know, do all things to them. 
And, but no, it wasn't the fact that he was sick. He suffered so much from these thorns, these people that were always like thorns in his side because he preached the gospel. Those are the ones he wanted to be delivered from instead of some physical illness. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, you'll get through. You'll get through with that. It wasn't a sickness deal. Well, sickness wasn't part of his troubles. God's response, my grace is sufficient, meant that grace is sufficient to get, a, get you through and over the persecution. But the stripes of Jesus are sufficient to get us, bring us healing in our bodies. Sickness is not the will of God. It's the work of the devil. It came about all as a result of the fall. Adam and Eve were never sick till after the fall came. Then that came in. The Bible declares that sickness is a curse. It's an enemy. It's an attack from the enemy. It's always seen as something that God wants to deliver people from. God's will is to heal, and he's proved it by placing everything on Jesus, making it as clear as he could be. That he's for us. He's not against us. Now, hopefully haven't convinced you of the fact that healing does belong to us. I'll move on to different ways of receiving healing. Every Christian has a covenant right to live free from sickness and disease here on earth. And there are several methods of doing that. Now, last two, three weeks, we spoke about faith. Well, it's not surprising that we get anything from God or please God is going to involve faith. So that's how we receive these things. Each of these methods requires some degree of faith in order to be effective. But not every believer's faith is at the same level. And you can have different amount of faith in different areas. I mean, you could be really strong in faith for finances and be weaker with regard to healing or vice versa. Um, that's just the way we are. So God's aware of that. And because not everybody's faith is at the same level, he's given us several different ways to receive healing. God wants to meet us where we are in faith because he wants us. He wants us to be healed. So the first one, which, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, is the prayer of agreement. In Matthew 18, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth, two people agree here on earth, about anything you ask, have to ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. So if two believers stand together in faith, they can have what they've asked God for. I mean, that's to line up with the word of God, of course. But they're agreeing on something God has said, something God wants. The central issue here, though, is it's agreement. All the both parties, or however many there are, have to be of the same mind. They want the same outcome. So before you pray a prayer of agreement, you better check and make sure everybody is in agreement. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God. Here's what the word says. Two more agrees, touching anything that they ask on earth, it shall be done to them. My Father is in heaven. There I am in the midst of them. Okay, we, we pray that. We agree. We've asked for what we want. We want agreeing and asking for healing, Father, for this person. Your word, we're entering into agreement. We're believing you, Father. We're thanking you, Father, because that's what your word says. And we check and say, okay, we're both believing that she's got a sore knee. Okay, we're agreeing that this sore knee is going to be healed now by God in accordance with the power and authority of his word. Okay, everybody agrees with that. It's not a maybe or anything. If it's a maybe, 
maybe you better leave, we'll bring somebody else in where we get an okay. Sometimes you don't want people in the mix that aren't going to agree. You want people that are going to agree. So when we're gathered there together, in agreement, asking in Jesus' name, Jesus says, he's there in the midst of us. I think that's really cool. Why is he there? You ever wonder? Ah, he's there. He's there to watch over his word to perform it. We're there. We're believing and confessing his word. And we're praying in his name. And he's there. He's, we're asking agreement in his name. And he's in the midst. He's going to add his approval. He's going to add his authority. He's going to back up what we're agreeing on. That's why he's there in the midst. And we often use this when we're on the prayer team. You'll come and you'll agree. Make sure everybody's in agreement. You'll pray and then believe God. Later on we get the reports, come back, this happened, that happened, wild stuff happens. (laughs) Really, really amazing stuff. And of course, we as prayers don't always see that, you know. The reports come later. Remember, last week I taught on patience, sometimes healing isn't instantaneous. Healing comes about as a promise, as we persevere and believe God and trust God. Then there's the, um, the second way I've got is just the prayer of faith. In Jesus' name. This you can do as an individual. Doesn't have to have a group on this one. In John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask, and you'll receive, and your joy will be full or complete. Which means you'll get what you asked for. The prayer of faith in Jesus' name brings about results for folks that are in need. Both Paul and James, they both mention praying for the sick. Pray for one another that you may be healed in James. We ask the Father, we ask the Father in the name of Jesus and believe and we receive. So if the need's healing, then the prayer of faith in Jesus' name brings about healing of the sick. Then there's the uh, third way is laying on of hands. Sometimes, you know, you do these in combination. Uh, we can pray the prayer of agreement, lay hands on the person too at the same time. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I remember, uh, I remember once uh, a couple had a baby that was uh, sick. And they brought him over to our house. I think it was on a weekend and uh, doctors weren't around and, and whatever. So they brought the baby in and uh, we went to pray for the baby. And, and you just pick up the baby and this baby is hot. I mean, it is burning up. Like, wow. And uh, so we prayed, agreed, laid hands on it. And I would say within five minutes at the most, yeah, less than that, a couple minutes, a minute maybe, whew, the heat was gone. He was normal temperature. And, uh, hmm, what tell he? Yeah, he was running around the house. And before he came in, he was just, oh, I don't want to move, I'm sleepy. And so, yeah, that was pretty neat. So, but the laying on of hands, that's probably the most common method that we see with regard to uh, how Jesus was moving, how he was ministering to the sick. Jesus said, you know, in fact, just prior to his departure, uh, that uh, this would be a method that was going to continue with his disciples. Mark uh, 16, 18 says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So that's what we see the disciples doing. Wherever they went, they lay on, laying on of hands. Really, it's one of the foundational doctrines of the church. 
And we see evidence of laying on hands. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. The, the power of God just is transferred from Jesus to sick bodies when Jesus touched them. Or when they even, all they had to do was touch part of his garment and they received healing. This is because the life and power of God was in him. Today, he tells us to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover because the life and power of God resides in us, within every believer. A lot of believers don't know it, so they don't use it, they don't believe in it, but it's there. Every believer has that ability to transfer that life and power to someone that's in need of healing. Just like we laid hands on that baby, same thing. Uh, method number four, anointing with oil. Sometimes we pray, believe, agree, anoint with oil, and uh, <laughs> lay hands on them. <laughs> in a way, oil is sort of laying hands on. But anyway, it's another way we see in the Word. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When they would take things, objects, they would consecrate them to the Lord by anointing them with oil. Uh, David was anointed with oil. He was set apart uh, to be king. It was just symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come upon uh, these people. It would power them. And so when Jesus went out, you know, sent out his disciples, they anointed with oil, and people were healed. We see that. In fact, he, he, Jesus told the church, uh, well, James, in the book of James, James tells the church elders to pray for the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He says the prayer of faith is what will save the sick. The oil itself, that doesn't do the healing. The oil is just really a, a point of contact for the one that has faith, for the one that's believing. Like I said, it's not faith in the oil, but in God. It, it helps you just sort of engage your faith that the power of God is going into that person's body to bring about healing. It's symbolic about the, the presence of the Holy Spirit among us power of the Holy Spirit available to heal. So we put oil on people. We touch them with oil. And then we have the gifts of healings. This is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. It's uh, another distinct way to receive healing from the Lord. I remember Kenneth Hagin saying, it's a supernatural manifestation of healing power from one individual to another. God supernaturally empowers people. Empowers people in the body of Christ to bring about cures in people's bodies. Some kind of people will anoint people with a certain healing ability. They may have a, an anointing to heal backs or eyes or ears or, you know, whatever. It's uh, why this gift is plural. It's it's the gifts of healing. There are many gifts of healing. So it's not a, just a general power to heal. It's a specific anointing for a specific need at a specific time. The operation of the gifts of healing was with any gifts, though. They're, they're manifested as the Spirit wills, not as we will, not as you know, necessarily we want. In other words, you can't dictate how the gifts of healing are going to operate. It's totally up to God. If he wants to do it or not to do it, it's all up to him. <clears throat> it's not like you can invoke it in a situation. No, it's not that way. 
It's, so very often, in fact, people that receive healing as a result of the gifts of healing, they didn't have any faith at all. They could totally be unbelievers. God's just moving. Sometimes it's a, a sign even to unbelievers. Because I know how many stories I've heard of people that didn't believe God moved and touched them. They got saved in a hurry. Just God sovereignly moving. In fact, you see that gift was an operation huge on all the big healing revivals that were that went on in the late 1940s and 1950s and 1960s. Uh, God would just sovereignly move whenever he wanted to. Sometimes the people he used, they didn't even know much about the word. But they had a gift. And they would come together, they knew enough to try to get people saved, and they'd preach healing. I mean, there's phenomenal stories. I have a, we have a class on the 20th century healing evangelists, and uh, the stories of those people are absolutely amazing. Uh, Oral Roberts would wait. God blessed him, and he anointed him a certain period of time and said, you'll feel my power come in your right hand. Oral would wait for the service. He'd wait behind the service. If the power didn't come in his right hand, he didn't have anything. He knew it. He would wait and wait and wait until it would come. William Brannan said he had a, an angel that would come alongside him, and he would wait. He would wait to sense the presence of an angel, and then he would move out and minister. Without that, he couldn't do anything. God choosing to move, God choosing to anoint. Tremendous, tremendous healing crusades. People like Jack Coe and A.A. Allen, all these people back then. Phenomenal healings that would take place. I remember even the, like T.L. Osborne, healings in his ministry. The, uh, I always liked the story of the boy with the pea eyes. And his, he had a big crusade and during the crusade. And a lot of these crusades, as like even with Catherine Kuhlman, Healings just broke out in the audience. There was no laying on hands. There was no touching. There was no individual prayer. God just sovereignly started to move. People didn't even have to come forward. And these women, this, this mother brings her daughter, well, the baby, I'm not sure it was, maybe it was a boy. I think it was a boy. He brought him up to show T.L. And T.L. looks at the baby and he thinks, oh, this child needs prayer desperately because instead of normal eyes, he only had these little eyes the size of peas. And he thought, oh, but his mother's all excited. And so they get the translator over and they say, you know, uh, okay, I'll, I'll pray for you. No, 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 she said, he has these little eyes. He says, yeah, I know, that's, that's the problem. He says, no, 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 there were no eyes there before. And in a short period of time, by the next day, the little eyes had become total normal eyes. So... Amazing. But again, God just moving supernaturally. But unlike when God, you know, we believe God for healing and use faith, this, this, this gift doesn't involve faith. God just say, just sovereignly moves when and if, whenever he wants to. So when we use our own faith, God's going to guarantee the result. But with the gifts of the Spirit, there's no guarantees that you'll come and you'll get you receive a healing. It's just as the Spirit's moving. So it's just as God chose to move you know, this way for this moment, for this person or these people. And because they only operate as the Spirit wills, you can't always explain why some people get healed and some people don't. It's just important to understand that between these different types of healings, you know, which ones involve faith and which ones don't. This one doesn't. That's why it's more or less really unpredictable.
as to who will receive and who won't. This is not based on faith. Now, that's not to say when this gift is in operation, people who are there witnessing it, that certainly encourages their faith. And sometimes they will receive healing because they see God in action healing people, and they'll believe it, they'll use their own faith, believe God, and they'll get the healing in the, in the audience or wherever it is because that's God's will. So, no sick person can, like I said, dictate to God that the gifts of healings have to operate on their behalf. And uh, so only the Holy Spirit decides, you know, when this gift's going to operate. So it's, in some ways, it's a little foolish just to wait and hope that the gift's going to come along when God's given us other, more certain ways to receive healing. Not all will be healed during those, those kind of meetings. So, because... Like I said, there's no faith involved. But if we exercise faith in the word, we obey the instructions for receiving healing, we can receive from God without having to wait for a gift of the Spirit to come along, which may never come. So God's given us other ways that we can use. But this is just one, one way God does use. A little unusual in a sense that it doesn't involve much faith, but it's still there. And then the last method is uh, the word and the name. When we're attacked, you know, we get symptoms of sickness, we simply stand on the word and confess the truth that says, by his stripes I am healed. I've been healed. Jesus bore our sicknesses and pains so we wouldn't have to suffer with it. That's part of my confession. Healing belongs to me. So we have to have an understanding of healing. In fact, that it was a past tense. Uh, It's not a future tense expectation. No, it's something that's already occurred. It's been provided for me. I just receive it. I'm not trying to twist God's arm to get it. No, he did what he's going to do. I'm just hooking up an agreement and believing him and taking him at his word, putting all my faith and trust in the word of God. So God wants his children to reach that level of faith and, I guess, understanding so they can resist the devil when he comes and attacks. Because he always comes. But... God says, no, I've given you a way to defeat him. That's why we got the word. That's why we got the name of Jesus, to defeat the enemy. In Acts 3.16, when Peter met a lame man at the, the gate that was called Beautiful, he commanded him to be healed in Jesus' name. Then he tells the crowd, after the man's healed, that it was in Jesus' name and faith in that name which had healed the man. So we've been given the word of God. It tells us about our covenant rights. We've been given the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is above every other name. It's above the name of any sickness. Anything that would come against you. The name of Jesus is higher. It's stronger. It's more powerful. And it belongs to you. Praise God. So with those two weapons, every believer can resist the the attacks of the devil. In fact, it's the best way to receive healing from the Lord because it's once somebody stood on the word for healing and they've received their faith level goes up another notch. It's not likely either that they're going to lose it in the future. Sometimes people that get a, a healing based on uh, gifts of the Spirit, time can pass, and because they don't know the Word, they don't know how to hang on to the Word, they don't know how to believe God and trust God for healing, sometimes the healing is lost, unfortunately. But here, when you believe yourself for your healing and you get it, you're locked in, you know. And so, you know, it's, it's powerful powerful for you, 
and not a testimony to other people. In fact, it's a testimony that can be, a, like I said, assigned to unbelievers. It's kind of interesting. I was watching a TV show the other day, and it involved a doctor, and this family brings their baby to the doctor. And the baby's sick, and as they examine the baby, they had been told by other doctors as well that this baby's going to die. Can't live very long, and it's just, just, a small, just a small baby, maybe, I don't know, a month or two old, something like that. And the, the doctor's kind of dis disheartened because she has to give him the same bad news as the other doctors had given her, had given the, the family. But the family says, can we pray for you? And she says, well, sure, go ahead. Now, this woman's not a believer. You know, the doctor, and she's not a believer at all. And so they pray for her. And it was a Hispanic couple. I'm not sure if they were praying in Spanish or praying in tongues, but they were... They prayed for her, and then they all got real happy and smiley and, and said, okay, now, we prayed for you, just go help our baby. And she was very disraught because she didn't have anything good to give them. She didn't know what to do. I mean, she's diligently searching everywhere for possible things that can help to save this baby. She tweaks this medicine a little bit, and the baby felt a little bit better, but she knew that wasn't any cure. There wasn't anything that could be done for this child. And she was kind of haunted by it. But the funny thing was, another day went by and the, guy, the child got a little better. And then it got better yet. And then it looked really good. In fact, then they can't find any symptoms of disease in the child at all. And as happy as the doctor is for the family, she's really kind of freaking out inside because she hates to say it, but this looks like a miracle. And if I say this looks like a miracle, that means... There must be a God, and I don't believe that. And so the scene ends with the doctor really struggling with what had happened here. And I just thought that's interesting, you know, because healing can be a sign. can be a sign to unbelievers. Amen. And it is. It's a powerful sign. So praise God for that. Regarding doctors and medicine, the primary thing to recognize is that doctors, they're looking at sickness the same way God does. It's an enemy. They want it removed. So medical science and divine healing, they're not in opposition. Doctors are fighting the same enemy that God also opposes. So it's not necessarily unbelief to use doctors. Faith is of the heart. It's an inward rest. It's an assurance, not just an outward action. Therefore, we can build our faith with complete deliverance while you're on your medicine. For illness, you know, God uses doctors, God uses medicine. You can keep using your faith and still go to the doctor. There's no problem with that. Medicine uses natural means to eliminate disease. In divine healing, God's going to use supernatural. But we can work together to use them, you know. Don't really want to confuse the two, but they can work together. I believe that the great medical breakthroughs that have come through with cures for diseases, I believe God's behind that. So, anyway... Because so many people have been helped. So many lives have been saved. So God wants his children to live in health. If we're attacked, he wants us healed. If our faith isn't to the point where healing is coming, there's no problem with going to the doctor. You know, but God wants us really, the big picture is for us to continue to grow in faith. We should always be striving to develop our faith and patience to a point where all we have to do is stand on the word and we get the healing that we need. Until then, no problem going with doctors. In fact, they'd be dumb not to. So, Now, what hinders healing? 
I have five things, there may be more, but um, if a person is not healed, a lot of times it's due to some hindrance in the person's life. Something's blocking the power of God from flowing into them. God's always willing to heal, but sometimes attitudes, sometimes actions, those that are looking for healing, can, can I hinder God? Well, what are some of these hindrances? Well, number one, real obvious one, ignorance. Now, very often people don't receive healing because they don't even know healing is available. They don't know God heals. They don't believe he heals. You know, they don't know that by the stripes of Jesus they've been healed or that Jesus born infirmities. They don't know any of that. They don't know that it's the will of God for them to be well. And we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as long as they're ignorant of what the word says, they're obviously going to be hindered from receiving it. Now, these are the kind of people that if they're lucky, they come to a meeting and the, the gifts of healing are in operation and they can receive one because they're not going to probably get one any other way. Now, maybe when they come and see people being healed, then the light will go on and they'll want to believe God. But if they don't know, nobody's told them. I mean, you probably encounter people all the time. Wherever you work and go, people are always sick. Somebody in the family's sick. Maybe I don't know God heals at all. Well, what we do, we pray for them. We pray for them. We agree with them. We, we use one of these methods that God's given us to use. And then see what happens. Healing comes. And then the others are surprised. And they open their eyes and more people get saved. And more, then they become strong in faith because they know what's happened. The second hindrance is, of course, doubt and unbelief. We talked about that one and, uh, with faith. But that keeps somebody from receiving anything because you know, it's hindering the hand of God from, from moving. You got really two forms, I think, of, of doubt and unbelief. There's kind of a, a group or community unbelief, and then there's individual unbelief. In the, in the group or, or the community unbelief, that's what Jesus spoke to in Matthew 17 when he said, This generation is an unbelieving and perverted generation. And he's aware that unbelief was all through uh, the people that he was, he was there involved with. And that kind of unbelief kept Jesus from doing any, any good works in his hometown of, of uh, Nazareth. Because it said, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't willing you know, to heal the people. The Bible said he couldn't do anything there because their unbelief was so strong. That's amazing. That their unbelief just shut down the power of God in Jesus. Because they thought they knew better. They said, no, nah, he's just a kid that used to live down the road. Now he's, he thinks he's a big shot. He's nothing. Well... So they didn't get anything. Now, today in some places, unbelief comes as a kind of a religious tradition. Uh, traditions say, you know, like I said, healing's not for today. Uh, that can get so ingrained into a person's mind that they're not even aware of it sometimes, but they just totally unopen to, to hearing that. They just think that's totally, totally ridiculous, you know. But... It can be part of the society or group they live in. It's become part of their thinking. They can come to, re if they can reject those and learn the truth. And many people do. I mean, many people, we could probably take a poll here. And you were all in that other camp at one point in time, but now we've come, our minds have changed, our minds have been renewed to the word of God, and now we know how to believe and receive. So, but something has to happen, you know, to move them off of that point. Then we got individual unbelief. So, when, like the disciples in Matthew 17, they asked Jesus, 
why they couldn't cast this demon out of the boy. And James says it was because their faith wasn't big enough. They had little faith. And uh, it's, that's really not the answer people really like when, when you think about it sometimes, that, that their faith is small. Because Jesus said if we speak to the mountain, it's going to obey us if we don't doubt in our hearts. But the hindering fact, if it's doubt and wavering, then individual you know, unbelief is, but they overcome the same way as the group. You've got to meditate on the word of God. You've got to confess it, start believing it, until it becomes strong, until it goes off on the inside of it. So you're feeling your spirit, man, ah, I got it. That's not just a concept. That's real. I know it now. I believe it. In fact, it's not even hard to believe it. But that's all comes with getting that from the Word of God. So the next hindrance, fear. We're all aware of that one. There was something happens, you know. Yeah. yeah. I get up in the morning, I got a pain. Oh, God says you're gonna die. You know, you're 70 years old, missed the end for you. Better get you all your stuff in order. Uh, you know, you're going to go to the doctor, he's going to come up with some horrible report, and this is it. In fact, I've been telling you this for years. You haven't been listening. But you're going to die, you're going to die. It's, it's hopeless. Because that's what the devil does. And uh, so he wants to bring fear in. He wants to bring doubt. He wants to bring unbelief. He wants to shake us off our conviction that God is faithful. He tells oh, well, if he healed you last time, he's not going to do it this time. But God can be willing to heal. But if our unbelief and fear come in, it can short-circuit it. So, but the fear that leads to wavering can be countered by, again, meditating on the word. And what God says in Hebrews 10, verse 35 says, Don't throw away your fearless confidence. Don't let him take it from you. You have to give it away, in fact. He's given it to you. It's yours. So don't throw it away. In fact, make it stronger. Build it up. So when we move that hindrance and you hold on to confidence in God, ah, then healing comes. Hindrance number four, sin. Sometimes sin and disobedience are why people don't receive from God. In fact, the Bible says that sin will hinder a person's prayers from being answered. So if someone's continually committing sin, it's not likely they're going to receive healing. In fact, because, you know, if you're in this situation and you've been chronically sinning and you go to pray to God, the devil's going to tell you he ain't going to listen to you because you're not in relation or fellowship with God. You're out of fellowship with him. You're out from under his protection. And so don't even bother. And you'll probably say, yeah, I agree. Instead of, and there is truth in that, but God's saying don't stay there. Don't wallow in that. There's no hope or success or victory in any of that. No. Come to me. Again, repent. Turn around. Turn around and do the thing you should be doing. The Bible says that we should examine ourselves. And if we do it honestly, God's going to show us if there's anything inside that needs tweaking, it needs correction, so we can deal with it. And therefore, there's nothing, no impediments between us and God. There's a free channel for healing to come and healing to flow. We all know this one, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, we think of that and then we pray that for our nation. I know we do that a lot. 
but it applies to individuals too. You know, if you, you know, who are sinning, seek, you know, humble yourself and pray and seek God and turn from your ways, then he'll, he'll forgive in heaven, he'll forgive your sin, he'll heal. Praise God. And the last one, the last hindrance, is um, unforgiveness. And this can be a big one. Because if we look at Mark 11, 23, and 24, uh, which we've talked about several times in the last few weeks, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them, and they will be granted to you. And usually we stop there. But then it says, whenever you stand praying, he's talking about praying and receiving and confessing up here, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who's in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So if you've got anything against anyone, you know, forgive. I know forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness can be extremely difficult. Because there are a lot of really mean, cruel individuals out there that do mean, horrible things to people. And you somehow you figure it seems like if you forgive them, you're letting them get away with it somehow. And all that you can hang on to is your hatred and really unforgiveness that you have toward that person. That's all. If I let go of that, then it's like I'm totally letting them off the hook. And I just can't bear to do that. That's not what God says. He says, forgive. Forgiveness must be a way of life. I remember times in my life it's been very, very hard to forgive. And yet I've struggled with it. I've gone to God with it. I've asked him to take it. And he will. He will. I tried to take it back. I had to give it to him again. Kind of a process. I don't want to keep it. Part of me did want to keep it. So until that part went away, I had to keep giving it back to him. But eventually, in time, in time, it passed. Now it's just a little memory in the back there somewhere, in a place where I don't choose to go. And uh, I know a story of a woman who was very sick. And actually, she was dying, but the doctors were having an awful hard time figuring out what was wrong with her. But she kept to get worse and worse. And... It turns out that her daughter had been molested. And she had all this hatred and bitterness toward, it was a family member that did it. And some friend of hers knew how she was harboring all this hatred. And they brought her some tapes on forgiveness. I don't want that. But after a time, this was back when they had cassettes, I think. She popped one in and listened to it. She listened. Played it again. Played it again. And then, with tears in her eyes, she went to God and said, Okay, I'll forgive. And she called the person that had done this to her daughter. And she said, what you did was horrible, evil. It was demented. It was ugly. 
It was awful. There's no excuse for it, but I choose to forgive you. And two things happened. One, after she did that, the woman started to get better. She got better and better and better, and pretty soon all the symptoms left. Bitterness can be a horrible influence on your body, your immune system, everything. You can't afford not to forgive, because you're the one that's suffering when you don't. The other thing, though, that happened was the family member who had done this got saved. He just couldn't believe that there was a love that big out there that could forgive him. So, forgiveness. But because it's a sin, we can't expect God to heal if we're just holding that grudge against somebody. So, it's God's best as children live free from sickness, walking in faith, resisting the enemy every time he brings bad stuff our way. Remember, laziness isn't the way to receive from the Lord. God's a rewarder of those who diligently and earnestly seek him. So we've got to be diligent with the word. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 22 say, Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. This prescription of God is taken as directed. It promises results that get manifested in our lives. So kind of in summary here of, of all of this, um, divine health, that's a state, what is it? It's a state where we're not always seeking healing, but we're really, we're enjoying health. We're successfully countering the attacks of the enemy. That's God's provision for us in the body of Christ. Through his word, God has revealed to us numerous ways in which we can be freed of sickness. We can walk in divine health. By far and the best way, though, is for a believer to be healed simply by claiming his covenant right by faith and confess the word concerning the healing. That's a path of growth. It's a path that leads to a place where the attacks of the enemy are more and more easily defeated. A believer who successfully stood on the word for the healing, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. They know how to deal with the devil. Whenever he comes at them again, they're on it, and they know what works. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you that healing does belong to us. I thank you that it's real. It is ours. You tried to make it so clear. You didn't want us to be able to miss it, Father. You said, if you see Jesus, we've seen you, and all we saw was him healing and healing and healing. So thank you, Father. We get the message. Healing does belong to us. We know there's many ways you can use. And Father, we're open to anyone you want to use. And we'll be more diligent to use those ways. And we'll be diligent, Father, to avoid all these hindrances, things that can bring doubt and unbelief, sin and unforgiveness, all those things, Father. We purpose in our hearts to do away with those because we want all that you have for us, all that you paid for, all that belongs to us. It's ours, Lord. You want us to have it. We want it too. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.